Hey, how's everybody this morning? What a blessing it is for, uh, for us to get an opportunity to come together. If you have your Bibles with you, would you open up to the book of Ephesians? Ephesians is where we find ourselves. We're going to conclude chapter 4 uh, this morning. And as we take a look, one of the things I just want to remind you is we took a look at what we were talking about last week. We, we finished, remember the book of Ephesians d- divides into three parts. First part. Uh, chapter 1 through 3 is the wealth. It's all the stuff we have in Christ. It's the reality, the truth that everything that we need is found in Christ. Period. Everything we need is in Him. Then in chapter 4, he begins to say, now, in light of that, what's our responsibility? Well, our responsibility is to walk. So first he says, walk in unity. The understanding... That you and I, that we together are brothers and sisters in the Lord. Not one against another. That we're, we're united in truth and we're to walk in that unity. We're to walk together. We talked a little bit last week about is it possible to be a Christian without church? And I encourage you, sure. Just like it's possible to be a solo tuba player. But there's not a lot of solo tuba player albums out there to buy, are there? Because nobody likes just the solo tuba player, but they like the orchestra together. Listen, one of the things that the scripture teaches us in Ephesians chapter 4 is, you need the church. But listen, the church needs you. Something's missing when you're not here. Something's missing when you're not a part of the body. And so... To come together and make the choice, guys. The choice that in light of what Christ has done for me, I want to walk in unity with my brothers and sisters. I want to accomplish that which the Lord has laid out for me. Remember the scripture laid out that God has a purpose for you. Specifically, a part within the body for you to play. An opportunity for you to serve. An opportunity for you to to do that thing that God has called you to do. And we can do that corporately when we come together in the body of Christ. Now as we take a look where we are in chapter 4. We're going to be picking up in verse 17. And God's calling us now as we begin this section. To walk in purity. And he's going to lay out for us what that concept is all about. Oftentimes in our Christian walk. We forget an aspect of it. You see when we come to Jesus Christ. We come to Jesus Christ with repentance right. Lord forgive me for my sins. We repent. Repentance means I'm going to turn. I'm going to change my direction. I'm going to go in another way. And so we repent and we receive Jesus Christ as our Savior and we turn and we think that that was it. That's not it. Because repentance is an everyday thing. Isn't it? I mean, you don't just get off track once in your life, do you? So (laughs) repentance is something we have to learn to walk in. We have to learn to make a choice, not to be who we were, but to be who we are. Remember, we are a new creation, right? A new creation created in Christ Jesus for good works that God has planned for us. So there's a purpose for our life. There was a time I didn't think there was a purpose, but now in Christ, I know there's a purpose, a plan. Let's look, Ephesians chapter 4, beginning at verse 17. He says, this I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk 
as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. So he begins with a negative. He tells us what not to do. Don't walk like the Gentiles walk. Now, if you want to substitute heathen for Gentile, unbeliever, it doesn't make any difference. It's the same thing. Remember what it was like before you came to Christ. What he's saying here is he paints this picture of our life without Christ. Is he's saying, first, we were walking in aimlessness, in the futility of our mind. Where are we going? How are we getting there? You want to talk to, about a lost generation? Look at the generation that's coming up before the Lord right now. I don't know how it was when you grew up. When I grew up, truth was truth. It still had absolute connotation to it. That meant something that was true was always true. Today, truth is relative. I wish truth had been relative when I was in school. Because the teacher could have said, I'm sorry, son, the answer to this question is false. And I could say, that's not my truth. In my truth, the answer is true. We have this idea of moral relativism. It's an oversimplification, but the concept is the same. There's no foundational truth. Truth is what you make it. And so we find a world that's aimless, a world full of existentialists. Existentialists is a nice way of saying there is no God. I will save myself. I will not follow those who, who laid out this religious rules before me, nor those who laid out secular rules before me. I will find my way. So we find ourselves in a philosophy that says eat, drink, and be merry. How's that work out for us? We find a life that's aimless. Apart from Christ, I didn't have purpose. There is a whole generation today that says, what's the point? What is this all for? Why am I here? Is it just to see who can die with the most toys? Because that's lame. Is it just, what is the purpose? What is the point? We have this aimlessness apart from Christ. In Christ, we have purpose. In Christ, there's a reason. In Christ, there's this opportunity to enable God to work in and through us and accomplish something much greater than we could do on our own. But he says, he begins, don't walk in that aimlessness. Don't walk looking for significance and definition or what is the point. He says, don't go to the futility of their minds. And then in verse 18, the next point of walking without Christ, having their understanding darken. They find themselves in darkness. Why are they in darkness? Scripture tells us because they suppress the truth. Because they won't receive the truth of what God's word says. In Romans chapter 1 verse 21 it says, Because having known God, they did not glorify him as God, nor gave thanks. But were made vain in their reasonings and their unintelligent heart was darkened professing to be wise they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible god into the likeness of an image of corruptible man and of fowls and of quadrupeds and reptiles they changed god into something they could see instead of the invisible god that we can't see so sometimes god becomes me sometimes god becomes a cow or a bull or a snake or whatever it is Something that we can look at. But as soon as they do that, they suppress the truth. They suppress the truth of who God is and they find themselves in darkness. 
I remember when life was aimless and, and dark. I remember when I didn't always have understanding because the next thing that we see happening when we find ourselves in that darkness, look what it says, being alienated from the life of God. Now, not only do we have aimlessness and darkness, but now we have deadness. You ever been dead inside? Yeah, apart from Christ, I was dead inside. I was dead inside. My, my deadness inside, it sounded like this. I began to exchange good for evil and evil for good. Light for darkness, darkness for light. Sweet for bitter, bitter for sweet. The world gets upside down. And I, and, and I would live for that next pleasure, that next opportunity. And what would I discover in that life that was aimless and dark? There's no life in it. There's no life in it. Folks, we have people all the time who, who live life in that respect and come to the point where not only is the deadness inside of them, but that deadness inside of them begins to call out for them to join it. What's the point of life? What's the point if it's going to be this hard or, or, or there's no purpose or there's no satisfaction? And the world can't answer. They don't have one. You could tell someone who's feeling that way not to be selfish. Why not? Well, because it's wrong to be selfish. Who says? There's no God. I'm living for myself. Why can't I be selfish? Why can't I only think of myself? But in Christ Jesus, there's a purpose. There's a reason. We don't walk this way anymore we don't live this life of deadness anymore finally he goes on because of the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart guys the greek word for that blindness is the word poros it's it's the idea of callousness or hardness because of the hardness of their heart they will not see because their heart gets hard the more times we reject the truth, the harder our heart gets. It's like the more times you cut yourself, the duller that area on your body gets. We used to ride ATCs back in the day at three-wheelers. You guys remember those? Before our government said that we're not smart enough to decide what's safe and not safe, and they took them away. So we'd ride three-wheelers. And I remember I was riding a three-wheeler, and it usually was my... Rule of thumb, not to allow a girl to, to, to ride me, to drive the ATC. Made me nervous. Sorry, ladies, there's nothing personal. But this particular day, a friend of mine's girlfriend, she, he said, come on, she's, she, she just wants to take you for a spin around this track. So I'm like, all right. And you guys remember they had those little uh, cooler racks on the back of the ATCs? So I sit on the back of the ATC, and I reach back, and I grab that cooler rack, and off we go, man. And I'm thinking, man, she feels pretty comfortable because she's flying. We're going around corners and shooting roosties everywhere. And I'm thinking, wow, man, I, I don't want to race her. She might beat me. That'd be bad. And we come around the corner into the whoop doos And usually coming into the whoop doos on a three-wheeler before the days of shocks, you slow down. No. She was mashing it, man. She was whooping that horse for all it was worth. We hit them whoop-de-doos as fast as all get out. I could hardly believe it. 
That's when she jumped off. And I'm holding on to that cooler rack like this, thinking, where'd she go? Turns out the throttle stuck a long time ago, and she finally just decided that's as far as she was going. So the next whoop-de-doo swatted me like a fly. And I got my leg stuck between the back wheel and the fender. I remember the throttle was stuck, right? So that back wheel was shooting a different kind of roost after that. First it was my jeans, and then it was my hide. Now, after I recovered from all that, still to this day, that area of my leg that had been all torn up by that tire is just dead. There's no feeling there. It's a big scar. It's a big callus. See, the scripture says we're not supposed to walk like that anymore. We're not supposed to walk with a big old callus over our heart. So that we're blind and we can't see what God wants us to do. So that we're feeling. But what does he say here? The the scripture goes on to tell us in the very next section, who being past feeling. Literally in the Greek, that means they have gone through the pain to the point where it doesn't hurt anymore. You ever heard someone tell you, I'm numb. I'm just numb. I don't know how to feel. Folks, that's a life walking according to the old man, not according to the new. With a hardness of heart, not allowing God to break up the fallow ground of your heart and give you peace. Past feeling, past the pain. Past the pain, our focus changes. Our focus isn't on the Lord Jesus Christ, but we become hard In Mark chapter 3, we see Jesus looking. He's he's going in the temple there. It's a Sabbath day. And there's a guy there with a withered hand. His hand's all shriveled up. And the Bible says Jesus sees him and he's moved with compassion for him and the hardness of all the hearts around him who are using him as a puppet to try to squash Jesus. Will he heal on the Sabbath day as though that's against God's rule? Will he have compassion on this man on the Sabbath day? You're not allowed to have compassion on the Sabbath day. So Jesus moved by compassion. He heals that man. But it says all their hearts were hard, calloused. Being past feeling. The Bible tells in the book of Timothy that we can sear our conscience with a hot iron. What does that mean? You continue in the same rut you're in. Ah, never mind, you repented, you gave your life to Jesus Christ, you're, you're trying to begin your new life in Christ, but you find yourself in the same rut, doing the same stuff, walking the same place, you are going to sear your conscience with a hot iron and you're not going to feel anymore that what you're doing is wrong. It doesn't change it. We can be seared with that hot iron, searing the conscience, searing it. Romans 1.18 again lays out for us that why does that occur? Because we suppress the truth. We know what God's word says, what God's word's calling us to, but it's one thing to know, it's another thing to be, right? It's one thing to hear, it's another thing to do, isn't it? 
Folks, there's a time in our life, and honestly, the time is now, where we have to realize that it's time to, to, to set aside the, the playing church and the wearing the mask of righteousness every Sunday, set that aside, and say, no, I need to be who I say I am in reality. Monday through Sunday. Do we need to turn away from living our life this way? You ever felt like your Christian walk just emptiness? It's just, where you know, when I got saved, a preacher told me there was abundant life. Where is it? Folks, abundant life is in the choice to walk in unity and walk in purity. Amen. God won't make that choice for you. For the children of Israel, he laid out two paths in the book of Deuteronomy. We're studying on Wednesday night. One, on one side of the hill, on one mountain, they, they shouted out blessing. On the other side of the mountain, they shouted out cursing. And the Lord would say, I've set before you this day blessing and cursing, life and death. But who to who did the choice go? He said to the children of Israel, choose life. But he didn't make the choice for them. He makes that same call to us today, choose life. Choose to walk the walk, not just talk the talk. Choose to be who and what God is calling you to be. Choose it. Don't get out of this darkness. Get out of this emptiness. Get out of the aimlessness, the darkness, the hardness. And what happens next? Look, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. Next, they turn to recklessness. If there's no meaning, if there's no purpose, then I'm just going to do whatever I want. Folks, if you don't know that that is where the world is today, you need to go home and turn on the news. Because that's what's going on around the world. Pick the country. It don't make any difference. That's what's going on. Life is empty. There's no purpose. Who says you get to make the rules? I say it's my turn to make the rules. He who with the most gold rules. All kind of different rules out there that lead to nothing, to emptiness. They lead to emptiness. This walk of the Gentiles, this walk without Christ. Folks, don't miss this. You can be saved and walk that walk. You can be saved and walk the walk of the dead. We have to choose to walk in unity. We have to choose to walk in purity. We have to choose, as the scripture declares, to put off the old and put on the new. It's up to us if we will make that decision, if we'll choose that, that crazy life. But look, look at verse 20. Then he's going to tell us what we need to have, what needs to be our focus. Look, but you have not so learned Christ. Understand that. You have not so learned Christ. It doesn't say learned about, learned of, learned with. It says learned Christ. The Hebrew mindset when it came to discipleship was really simple. You and I, we grow up in a, in a Greek model of education. The Greek model is teacher stand in front of class, give a direction, write things on a board, give assignments, receive assignments, and we judge the ability to understand or grow in knowledge based on the tests that we give. That was not the Hebrew model. The Hebrew model is immersion into. 
That's why the father took his son with him when he went to work and his son became a baker because that's what dad was. He was immersed into that world and he learned all of those things by being with him. What did Jesus do with the disciples when he called them? He sit down in class? That's not what he did. What did he say? Come follow me. What did they do? They slept with him. They ate with him. They walked with him. They saw everything he did for three years. That's how we learn Christ. By being with him, in him. It's all about him. He is the subject. Not all this other garbage that people want to get all crazy and argue about. Let them argue. I'm going to walk in unity in Jesus Christ. He is what matters. He is the point. He is the issue. Just the other day, we had some uh, uh, visitors come to our house. It's it's unlucky for you as a Jehovah Witness (laughs) to choose the preacher's house. It's just not going to go well. And ultimately, the issue is we can't have, they want to try to push for some semblance of unity, but we can't have unity until we can have unity on Christ. And when you say Jesus is an angel and I say he's the son of God, we don't have unity. Truth is our unity. The the way, the truth, and the life is who? Jesus Christ. When Jesus was standing before Pilate, Pilate asked the most important question you could ever ask. He said to Jesus, Keest veritas. What is truth? But he didn't listen for the answer. Because truth was standing right next to him. The way, the truth, and the life. He is who he said he was. He is what scripture says he is. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. You can dance all around the Greek as many ways as you want to. You cannot find the, the A, the participle, in the Greek. It's not there. Does not exist. No wishing will make it appear. It's not there. So it's important that we stand on that foundation of truth. This is not how you learn Christ. This is not how you learned him. Look at verse 21. <clears throat> if indeed you have heard him. Now, We in English, we read the word if a little different than the word if is written. In the Greek, there are four class conditions to the word if. I'm not going to bore you by them all. I'm just simply going to tell you. This one means since. Since you heard. means as a matter of fact, you absolutely have heard that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. You absolutely have. So since, since you have heard him and have been taught by him, who's our teacher? Jesus Christ, our teacher. What's the subject? Jesus is the subject. Where do we find the subject? It tells us next. As the truth is in Jesus. See, that needs to be the focus, guys. That needs to be the focus. Folks, every cult and ism, every person who's off track in the world is off track on that subject. Who is Jesus? Who did he say he was? He said he was very God. God of very God. Man of very man. He's the Goel, kinsman redeemer, to put his hand in man and his hand in God and bridge the gap between the two. God of very God. Scripture declares the oldest creed 
in the church is the Apostles' Creed. Lays out that very same fact. It takes us 2,000 years later to mess it up. But those at the time of Christ knew very well what he had said and what he had done. You have not so learned Christ. But it's more than just who he is and who he says he is. It's how he lived. It's what he does. It's what he did. It's what he's still doing in the life of believers. We cannot walk in the aimlessness of the world, in the deadness of the world, in the darkness of the world, and find the abundant Christian walk, the Christian life. It's not there. It's found in Christ Jesus. It's found in Him. We have to abandon that walk. We have to change where we're going. We have to walk toward the Lord. Repent and turn toward Him. Repent and walk toward the Lord. Allow Him to do what He wants to do. Here's what Charles Spurgeon wrote. So if you want to know the Lord Jesus Christ, you must live with him. First, he must himself speak to you. And afterward, you must abide in him. He must be the choice companion of your morning hours. He must be with you throughout the day. And with him, you also must close the night. And as often as you may wake during the night, you must say, when I awake... I am still with thee. Psalm 139. I can't get away from you, Lord. I'm with you wherever I go. What was David? A man after God's own heart. Why? Because God was his central focus. All day, morning, noon, night. I want to follow him. I want to learn about him. I want to be in him. How do we learn the truth? John 17, 17 says, Sanctify them by your truth. Jesus praying to the Father. Sanctify them, the church, by your truth. And then he says, Your word is truth. How do we know about Jesus? Listen, the more we learn the word of God, the more we know the Son of God. The more we learn the word of God, the more we know the Son of God. In the beginning was the Word. Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh. God the Word, Jesus Christ, God's Son. So this is to be our example. So then, if He's that example, what do we do? How do we make this choice? How do we make the change? How do we turn away from walking in the darkness to walking in the light? Look what He says. He's going to tell us, To do three things here. He's going to tell us to put off, to put on, and to put away. He's going to tell us how to do it. But he's not going to do it for you. But he's going to tell you how to do it. First he says, put off concerning your former conduct. The old man which goes corrupt according to deceitful lusts. Literally it's a picture like we're walking around with a dead body strapped around our neck. He says, get rid of that. Why are you walking around with that around you? Any of us lining up for that kind of jewelry? Because I got a big old string of dead mice at home. I'll just thread them together and make a necklace. Sell it to you for a great price. It stinks a little bit and nobody will want to be around you. Listen, the idea, the concept is, is carrying around this dead body that grows corrupt. It's just rotting on you, and it's rotting you. So he says, get rid of this. And how will we get rid of it? And be renewed 
in the spirit of your mind. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. How do we take off the old man? In repentance. We change direction. I'm not walking this way anymore. I'm not going the same place I was going. I'm going to change the way I think. I'm going to change the things I do. Because I'm not that person anymore. I'm a new creation created in Christ Jesus. Listen, and in the renewing of your mind, the battle will be won or lost. What did he mean by renewing your mind? Romans 12.1 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is good and acceptable in the perfect will of God. Again, the call to renew your mind. I need to renew my mind. I need to change my mind. To what? Philippians chapter 2 verse 5. It says, let this mind be in you which was in Christ Jesus. Who being the very form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. But he made himself of no reputation. The great kenosis. We'll never be able to fathom the distance that God the Son came to become man. You will never fathom it. The distance between being omniscient, omnipotent, all-powerful, all-knowing, almighty God, never knowing separation from the Father, even for an instant in all of eternity, to come down, down, down in the incarnation. The great kenosis means he emptied himself. When you look at the life of Christ, live through the Gospels, make no mistake, Jesus did not do one miracle on his own power. Jesus Christ did not raise the dead because he is God. He raised the dead because he submitted wholly and utterly to the Father and the Spirit moving through him raised the dead. That's how he did it. Does that mean he wasn't God anymore? Nope, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying he didn't use any, none of his God powers. None of them. He emptied himself, the great kenosis. He made himself with no reputation. That's an easy way of saying a difficult word in the Greek. He emptied himself. And he came as a bondservant, even obedient to the point of death. How does God die? How does he that is life cease to be? The mysteries of the incarnation of Christ even unto the point of death. Who raised him from the dead? Father. Spirit. What did Jesus say when he perished on the cross? Father what? Into your hands I commit my spirit. There you go. Lord, you're gonna, I know you're going to raise me, Dad. Moments earlier he had said what? Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? For the first time in all of eternity, Almighty God the Father turned his eyes from Almighty God the Son. And they knew separation as he who knew no sin became sin, that I might become the righteousness of God. 
Man, it's amazing to consider that which God accomplished in that, what God has done in that. So to renew our mind, we must let the mind of Christ be in us. It's a big key. The mind of Christ was not selfish. The mind of Christ was not self-focused. The mind of Christ, Philippians chapter 2 tells us, esteemed others greater than himself. If Almighty God can do it, we can do it. But we have to choose it. And it doesn't come natural. The natural is, I want what I want when I want it. If you treat me bad, you should get treated worse. Right? Do unto others before I do it to you. Something like that, right? And that's, that's how we tend to live our life. But that's not the mind of Christ. That's not renewing my mind. It's taking the fleshly mind and saying, nope, don't do things that way anymore. Now, I'm going to do things Jesus' way. And he said, others are...